Well, we began a series of messages a few weeks ago entitled Questions Jesus Asked. We're winding that down today with the question, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Good question. I get a lot of emails. Many of them I, I delete. You know, I just, it's just too massive to read all the emails. I don't mean, not from you, Shay. You send me an email, I'll read it. But I mean, a lot of the forwards, I just, just don't have time to go through, you know, 20 forwards at a time. But, but occasionally, uh, I'll, I'll stop and I'll go through one if it catches my attention. And they had one that had church signs. Maybe you've seen them, the signs, you change the letters on the outside. One of the church signs in that list said this, Don't let worry kill you, let the church help. Now, I kind of know what they were thinking, but it didn't turn out quite right. It's true that worry can kill you. Worry can send you to an early grave, but the church's responsibility shouldn't be to help it along. The church's responsibility should be to introduce you to the Prince of Peace, who can provide a peace for you that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, even in the times of stress and strain and anxiety. Worry, you see, and anxiety lead to stress. And ongoing stress leads to all kinds of health and emotional issues. There are any number of studies and surveys that outline that, and they certainly have documented it down through the years. A recent article I read on WebMD said that stress over the long term can disturb the body's internal balance or equilibrium, leading to physical symptoms such as headaches, stomach, upset stomach, elevated blood pressure, chest pain, sexual dysfunction, and problems sleeping. Emotional problems can also result from distress. These problems include depression, panic attacks, and other forms of anxiety and worry. Research suggests that stress can also bring on or worsen certain symptoms or diseases. Stress is linked to six of the leading causes of death, heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis of the liver, and even suicide. This may help us understand at least one of the reasons that the scriptures are constantly telling us not to worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. This morning, we're going to discover another reason, which, to be quite honest, is even more important. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. What I'm going to ask you to do is just, we're going to, like we have the last couple of weeks, just kind of break it down. So if you'll leave your Bible open to that point, and we'll begin to read those scriptures in just a moment. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is power. It is your love letter, but it is also a book of instructions. But Lord, it is a book that shows us and reveals who you are and who we are. Father, we want to know more about who you are. We want to know more about who we are and who you're calling us to be. And and so today as we read your word, as we open it, as you impart your truth to us, we pray, Lord, that it'll stick, that it'll penetrate, and that it will change us. For this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. What we're going to see this morning in this portion of Scripture is Jesus teaching about worry and stress. Three times he tells his followers not to be anxious, not to worry. And in total, in these few verses, uh, there are six incidences of the word or variations of the word worry or, or anxiety in these, in these verses. So what we're going to see is this is not just a casual offhand comment like sometimes we make, 
but it is a very serious and sobering kind of challenge that Jesus lays out before us. Let's look at uh, verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Now, if we backed up a little bit, we would see that Jesus had been teaching on uh, the dangers of wealth and materialism, finding fulfillment in our possessions. He tells us not to, for instance, store up our treasures on earth, but to store our treasures in heaven, because where, where our treasures are, what we value most, that is where our heart's going to be. So if it's on the stuff of this life, then that's where our heart's going to be, and we're going to invest ourselves in those things. He also warns us in those verses leading up to this not to divide our allegiance between God and money. He says you can't serve both God and money. It's not possible to honor God with a divided heart. He wants our whole heart. He wants our complete devotion, not a portion of it. And so Jesus says you can't, you can't do it. You cannot have God and money as your first priority. You can't worship God and money. You can't follow God and money. You're going to choose one or the other. And so with that in mind, it leads up to this point where Jesus is challenging his disciples, do not worry. Don't be anxious. Specifically, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Quite frankly, these things do occupy a lot of our time and attention, don't they? What we eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. What's the question you hear when you leave here and you're, you're leaving? So, it, 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 sometimes it's not, hey, what, what really spoke out to you this morning? What did God say to you? No, it's like, where are we going to eat? Uh, what's for lunch? Uh, this morning, you know, you get up and, and you're, you're kind of, oh, what am I going to wear? Oh, I can't wear that. I can't wear that. I can't wear We're, We really, we spend a lot of the time focused on what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. And these things aren't unimportant. They're important. Clothing is important. Thank you for wearing some. <laughs> Food, drink, it's, it's important. It's, it's just part of, it's part of life. But you know what? You are more than what you consume. Your value, your worth is not based on the clothing that you wear. It goes beyond that. Our tendency is to get caught up in what gives us momentary satisfaction and acceptance by others. Think about that. Our tendency, our pattern is to get caught up in those things that give us momentary satisfaction and acceptance by others. Advertisers know this. They count on it. They make their living on this fact that momentary satisfaction and acceptance by others is important to us. In fact, to them, you and I are nothing more than consumers. I know many of you, I know your circumstances, I know the challenges, I know the changes that God has brought in your life through the years, I know some of the things that you struggle with right now, I know some of the victories in your life, it's the privilege of being a pastor and having such a wonderful flock. But to advertisers, to big corporations, we're consumers. And our value to them is on what we buy. And what they convince us, or at least attempt to convince us, is that that is how we gain our value. 
by the kind of car we drive, by the kind of foods we eat and the clothes that we wear. Those things make us who we are if we listen to those who would call us only consumers. And the problem with that is we end up valuing what we consume. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Those things become all-consuming to us so that we end up rearranging our lives entirely to pursue those things. This is just a little side note. The only time in the New Testament I find people realigning their lives to pursue something is when they come into contact with Jesus Christ and they completely realign everything in order to pursue Him with all their hearts. That's the way it's supposed to be. Other stuff is just a cheap substitute for pursuing Him who gives life real meaning and real value. And so Jesus begins by pointing them to something that even when there weren't billboards and magazine ads and and ads on TV, still, still, I promise you, people in that time were as concerned as people in our time about what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. What do you think think they were talking about when they left synagogue? What are we going to have for lunch? They're they're thinking the same thing. What robe? Does the brown robe look better? What do you you think I ought to wear this morning? How about these sandals? Gosh, I I think I need some new sandals. Let me give you an example this morning. This morning, somebody came in, and and for some reason, conversation went went to my shoes. And I looked down at my shoes. I love these shoes. They feel so good. I mean, these, these are, I bought these in Minnesota. And they, they really feel good. I wear these probably four or five days a week. If I'm not wearing flip-flops, I'm probably wearing these. I'd wear them to weddings, except they're not black. Anyway, I love these shoes. But I looked down today and I said, my goodness, they're kind of getting, kind of getting scuffed up. I, I probably ought to, probably ought to get, get a new pair. I wonder what people think about these when they see them. And then uh, Jesus tapped me on the shoulder and said, yeah, you're, you're actually preaching about that this morning. So, so I'll, I'll dust them off and wear them next week and we'll all be happy. Turn your attention to verse 26, if you will. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus said. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, Jesus uses the example of the Heavenly Father providing for the birds of the air. Now, what you need to note is here is that birds work pretty hard. Birds, the early bird gets the worm. You don't catch the birds just kind of lounging around, keep hitting the snooze button, okay? Birds are up, they're out looking for food, they're digging for worms, they're catching bugs out of the air. Uh, they can have all the mosquitoes they want. It's fine. They're building nests. They're, they're const- birds are constantly working. But, you know, so this is not an encouragement to say, hey, just kick back and, and let God take care of you. You don't have to do anything. No, birds are working. But what Jesus is saying is, even though these birds are busily about their business each and every day, that their provision comes from God. Now, that's important for us to understand. You and I work. We do our jobs. You, some of you work very, very, very hard. You, 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 some of you work outside, manual labor. Others, you know, you got all this massive brain power and you use that and that's part of your work. And that's just as tiring except in a different way. But you do all this work, but the provision comes from God. 
It is God who ultimately provides the skills that you have, the knowledge that you have, the ability that you have, the work that you do have in your life. All of that is a gift from God. And that's what we need to understand here. Consider the birds of the air. Yes, they're out working. They're out toiling. But the Heavenly Father is providing for them. He is meeting their needs. Understand this. Jesus needs us to. Jesus' point is that the birds don't get anxious. And the birds don't get worried. As the birds go about their business of life, God meets their needs each day. As we go about the business of our lives, God is meeting our needs each day. And it's daily. Get this, it's daily. When Jesus was telling his disciples how to pray, his prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. Now, how does that prayer differ from stressing and worrying and anxiety? It is an acknowledgement of our daily dependence upon God. It's not saying we shouldn't plan. It's not saying we shouldn't, you know, know, buy in bulk. It's an encouragement not to hoard and not to be anxious over these possessions in our lives. Look at verse 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We worry and fret over a lot of things, but does it help? Is it productive? Does it add anything to our lives? Does it add value to our lives? Quite the contrary. Worrying takes away from our lives. It takes away peace. It takes away satisfaction. And if the studies from the doctors are correct, it takes away years from our lives. So what Jesus is saying is exactly the opposite. And Jesus was, of course, God in the flesh. He knew this. He knew what worry and anxiety does to us physically and how it shortens our lives. So in fact, it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, listen, does worrying add to your life? No, not even an hour. Instead, worrying takes away from your life. It robs your life. Worrying is pointless, useless, and dangerous. Verse 28 and following, and and why do you worry about clothes, he adds? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, Jesus has called us to learn from the birds of the air because they worked and God provided. Now he's saying learn from the lilies of the field, that is the the wildflowers that are outgrowing in the field. Let's face it, flowers don't do much. They just grow. You know, the birds are out working, the flowers are just sprouting and blooming and, and, and just doing their thing. Jesus' point here is a little bit different because he adds, think about their lifespan. They have all this beauty, and yet when the sun comes up in a few days, they're going to dry up, and what's going to happen is farmers, the people are going to go out and they're going to cut this dried grass, and they're going to use it to start fires. It's just going to be burned up. It's just going to be consumed. If the Father cares enough to dress those temporary things with such glory, what do you think he's got in mind for you? Jesus' point is not that we will all be dressed in the finest clothing available to man, but that God honors us with life, and he clothes his people in righteousness. Consider what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me 
with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. God has a clothing for you. A, a clothing of righteousness that he wants to bestow upon you. He cares for you. And if he cares so much to clothe the lilies of the field, the fly, wildflowers that grow out in the field, if he cares enough for those little short-lived things that are up just only a few days and then gone, if God cares that much for the flowers of the field, imagine how much he cares for you and how gloriously he wants to clothe you. Now, I will tell you, the ultimate clothing that we will get is going to be when we are in the presence of God. And we will be clothed fully in righteousness. Not, this, not what we've got right now, but we will be clothed in His glory. And so what we get now is just a foretaste, a small foretaste, an appetizer of what is to come. So what is Jesus saying in both of these illustrations? It's pretty simple. Have faith in God. Instead of being anxious, instead of worrying, have faith in God. We worry, we stress over so many things, but are we truly trusting Him to meet our daily needs? Think about that. You're working hard, but in the midst of that, are you trusting Him to meet your daily needs? Last week, we discovered that, that fear and faith aren't compatible. Today, what Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that worry and faith are not compatible. They don't go together. They don't belong in the same basket. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As an example of, as example of God's providential care over his creation, highlighting to us that we are the pinnacle of that creation, that God cares for us, and His care exceeds that of all the animals and plants that are out there. Jesus then states again, do not worry. Don't stress out over food. Don't stress out over drink. Don't stress out over your clothing, things we need. But God's not a dummy. He knows we need those things. And then he adds something of great importance here. The pagans run after all these things. The pagans, the heathens, people who aren't believers are hightailing it after all these things. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's a pretty good grasp of that. That's a pretty good uh, concept of what is being said here, what Jesus is trying to say. The, the thoughts of unbelievers are dominated by running after food and drink and clothing and the like. These things are what the world finds most important. But Jesus said you're to have different standards. Your priorities are, are to be different. In fact, when you stress over these things, it's really an, an exercise of a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God's providential care. A Bible scholar, Robert Mounts, says... Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Worry is practical atheism 
I say I believe in God, but do I live each day as if I believe in Him? What then should dominate our thoughts? If it's not the stuff of this world and getting more of it, what should dominate our thoughts? Well, we don't have to guess because Jesus told us. Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom above all else. Prioritize the kingdom in your life. Let me just stop and ask right now. You don't have to answer out loud. But is the kingdom prioritized in your life? When Jesus said, seek it first, are you doing it? I'll admit, as pastor, I'm very often of two minds and two hearts about a lot of things. And it is easy to get distracted and sidetracked from what is most important. But Jesus is trying to hammer it home. Hammer it home. Listen, prioritize the kingdom in your life. Prioritize the kingdom in your decisions. Do you hunger more for a nice meal on a Sunday afternoon? Or do you hunger more for the presence of God? Do you think about the latest gadgets more than you think about those who are perishing without Jesus Christ? Are you more interested in being comfortable than being faithful? Do you rely more on your money and your possessions than you do on the Heavenly Father? These are questions to chew on like a cow chews his cud over and over and over again. Letting it ruminate, letting it... Letting it sink in. They're not questions that should bring condemnation. But they are questions that should bring conviction. Because condemnation only leads to wallowing in guilt. But conviction leads to change of life and change of action. Well, as Jesus is bringing all these pieces together, he offers this conclusion. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if you couldn't agree with anything else I said, you'll agree with that one, right? Much of our worry, to be quite honest, is based on what will never, ever happen. Each day has pleasure of its own. Each day has trouble of its own. But God has promised to meet you and to meet your needs one day at a time. Sadly, you and I tend to borrow trouble. We become anxious and worried about those things that might happen, could happen tomorrow. Some of us even lie awake at night creating nightmare scenarios in our minds. So that we wake up, we're already tense, we're already tight, we're already tired. Because we've created these possibilities out there that are, excuse the expression, scary as hell. They are. And they keep us up at night. And they give us ulcers. And they worry us. And they give us headaches and and migraines and all kinds of things. Give tomorrow to God. And give those worries and those nightmares that you've created to God. Entrust those to Him. Because this is not what God wants for our lives. Although you and I are to plan for the future, we're not to stress over it because we have a God who cares for His children. I can tell you this, and I know that it's it's different in some families who are really, really struggling, but my kids have never gone to sleep at night wondering, 
if they'll have clothes to wear tomorrow, food to eat tomorrow, something to drink tomorrow. Because they know they have a father who loves them and a mother who loves them and who have the means to provide for them. I'm here to tell you that's what Jesus is saying to you. You have a father who loves you and a father who has the means to meet your needs. It doesn't mean you kick back and say, okay, God, shovel it my way. Consider the birds of the air. But it does mean that God has the heart and the will to meet your needs beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine. We know that we will have troubling and challenging days ahead. But worrying about potential problems, about tomorrow, can keep us from focusing on God's priorities for today. What are the key insights? And I'm trying to do this during this series to to kind of boil it all down because that's a lot to digest. And so let me share with you what God said to me as he spoke to me through this passage. First of all, worry is worthless. It, it, It gains you absolutely nothing. And in fact, it takes away from your life. So worrying is worthless. Secondly, worry is dangerous. Worry will shorten your life and it will rob you of the peace that God wants you to have. Worry is dangerous. Third, Worry is disobedience. Worry is a lack of trust in a God who said he will meet my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's disobedience. We need to bring that under the lordship of Christ. Put it in the hands of God. And finally, number four, and this is the reason why all the other three are true. Number four, because God is faithful. God is faithful. The Bible says even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That is his character to be faithful to what he's promised.